there's a part of you that thinks you've consciously chose your partner because of XYZ, but then there's another intelligence that's operating that's outside of your consciousness that has possibly chosen your partner to wake you up into your own wholeness and completeness. Hello, thank you so much for tuning into the Active Ingredient Podcast. I am your host, Sophie Wheel, and I am a deeply curious person on my own personal journey of self-discovery and personal growth. This is a podcast all about the journey and figuring out what makes us come alive and prioritizing whatever that is every single day. When I started the podcast over two years ago, I thought that I would get the answers externally. And the more conversations I had and the more work that I did on myself, the more I realized that every single answer and all of the truths lie within and in the silence. I know that may sound a bit overwhelming, which is why my mission is to have candid conversations with relatable humans who I feel have truly come alive and get really clear about how they've come home to themselves, as well as share my own discoveries along the way. Welcome to Active Ingredient. My biggest wish for you is that you feel alive and that you tap into your active ingredient every single day. This episode is brought to you by my literal favorite pancake company in the world. It's called Eat Other World. And I truly, I've posted about these pancakes nonstop to be completely transparent. I reached out to them and I was like, hey, I'm like obsessed with your pancakes. I've bought them a million times. Like, would you be down to sponsor the show? And that's how this is happening. But I, I genuinely, I have bought this pancake mix myself. It is so freaking good. It's a better for you pancake. And they have a few different flavors, but the one that I continue to buy is just the plain original. It's made with zucchini and dates. And I literally, they're so good and they're so light. They feel so good in my body that I literally have these pancakes on a Tuesday, on a Monday, on a Sunday, on whatever day. I'm obsessed with them. They're so good. I've turned so many family members onto this so many friends and the people that have asked me like, oh wait, do you really like this? Cause I, I really post about it all the time on my social there. I'm like, you know, yeah, I literally am. I highly recommend it. They buy it. And then they message me being like, holy, like this is like just so freaking good. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's really that good. That's why I actually went out of my way to go reach out to this brand and be like, Hey, I really want to provide a discount code to my listeners because I want you guys to try this. It's so freaking delicious. It tastes so good. I don't even put syrup on it. I literally just put blueberries and bananas if you like to have pancakes with fruit and that's how I have it sometimes strawberries it's so delicious like it's honestly making me want right now which I'm actually out and we have a discount code for you guys which is code active a-c-t-i-v-e that you can use at checkout and their website is eat e-a-t otherworld.com and the discount code at checkout is active, A-C-T-I-V-E. Let me know how it goes. Send me pictures of your pancakes because it, like, it literally brings me so much joy to see other people trying this because like, I'm, I'm just shook that something that can be like good for you can taste this good also, you know? So let me know. Again, it's code active, A-C-T-I-V-E at checkout. Hello, welcome back to Active Ingredients. I am back in New York after a few days in Miami. I went back to Miami to celebrate my birthday. So if I sound a little bit wiser today, it's because I am now 31 years old or 31 years young, actually. Yeah, I had such a nice weekend with my family, with my friends, spent some time at the beach. It was just truly like good for the soul. You know what I mean? I spent a lot of time working with my sister. We're working on a project together, which I'm really excited to share with you guys soon, hopefully. It was just like all around such a beautiful, amazing, relaxing, and also like really intense uh, weekend. It was like relaxing one day and then the next day it was like nonstop, but in the best way possible. And I cannot wait to share more on that. But yeah, I am speaking to you as a 31-year-old now. I just feel really grateful. And I was telling my sister when we were at the beach, I was like, man, like, I really genuinely just feel so content right now. And I feel so blessed with everything in my life. And I just, I couldn't ask for anything more. So just trying to really soak that in, you know, I feel like so many times we tend to just like want more and more and more. And I just, I had a moment of being like, damn, like, even though like, I feel like I'm someone that's always going to be hungry. I genuinely feel content. That's such a nice feeling. And I, I, I think so many times like we feel like we have to stay hungry in order to like keep moving and growing. But I think that there's so much 
power and also just taking a beat and just looking at how far you've come and really just being genuinely grateful for the things that you do have. And I had that moment where I was like on my actual birthday on Friday, I genuinely felt that. I am so beyond excited for you guys to listen to this week's episode. It is an episode that I definitely got a little bit more open with you guys on my personal relationship with my boyfriend partner who I've been with for a very long time. I'm really, really excited. It was one that I skipped a week because I wanted him to listen to the episode before I put it out and make sure that like he was cool with it. He was cool with it. So we're here. So this week's episode is with the incredible Clayton Olson. He is a international relationship expert, coach, and author. And the theme of this show this week is all about relationships and how to navigate personal growth, like as you're growing as an individual, how to navigate that while you're in relationship with others. And that could be your romantic partner, that could be your friends, your family, just relationship dynamics in general. Clayton has over 15 years of experience working with people to optimize behaviors and social dynamics. And he tends to work with people when they're just ready, you know, and truly want to transform and enhance the relationships in their life. He works with all stages of relationships, including getting started, mending relationships, strengthening, or moving on. On this episode, we get into, like I said, navigating relationships while going through personal growth, holding space for yourself and for your partner, relationships being the absolute perfect opportunity to wake us up and to remember our wholeness and completeness if we let it, and choosing new patterns that serve us after we've recognized that patterns that have served us in the past no longer serve us in the present. So with that, Clayton, this is definitely the first of many. Thank you so much for being on the show. I hope you guys enjoy and please send me any messages if this resonates with you, or if there's anything that, you know, struck a chord. I love to have conversations about this. And also a reminder for those in New York, I am teaching yoga. It's kind of like a active ingredient, <laughs> like in a yoga flow type of thing. I'm teaching Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. The link is in my personal bio on my Instagram. So check it out. I would love to see you flow with me. I would love to meet you in person. So just check that out. And yeah, so with that, Clayton, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on the Active Ingredient Podcast. I'm really, really excited to have you here. So background for the listener, Clayton and my business coach, Ben Easter, are good friends Ben is truly like obsessed with Clayton. I was telling him before the show. And I'm really excited for this episode to get into all things relationship and just, yeah, kind of just like navigating personal growth within relationship. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And I love the intro and I'm flattered and excited to dig into the topic today. It sounds like it's going to be rich and meaningful for a lot of people. Yeah. And I think clearly like Seeing your YouTube views and just like the traction that you've had within this topic and category, like there's hunger for this. I think specifically like for active ingredient, I think that it's something that I don't talk about often on this show. And I think that I need, I want to start bringing it more into the fold because you can't do personal growth without also considering the relationships in your life. Like they literally go hand in hand. I'm really excited. Hopefully this is the first of many. I actually want to start off with a different question than I normally ask. And it's, what is your history and relationship and how did you land in the relationship world? Yeah. Wow. That's a great question. And it's a long, (laughs) long circuitous journey, but I'll give the high level overview. So when I was 18, so a little bit over 20 years ago, I got deeply involved in neurolinguistic programming. And it happened, I I had a father who passed away, who was an alcoholic. And so there was already some interesting relationship dynamics in the family because of that. And with his passing, when he got out of the way, it it was almost like I stopped being in relationship with the, the chaos of who he was. And suddenly I started to see myself in a more undistorted view because I was no longer reacting to him. I didn't like what I saw. I felt like I what my whole identity was a reaction to dodging and kind of being with his chaos. And I realized that something needed to change within me. And I hit a really dark point around the time of his passing. And I remember my mom passed me a book called The Structure of Magic, which is an early 1970s book on neurolinguistic programming. So when I was reading that, the one real big takeaway that I got from it that really started to change my life was that my experience of something is different than the circumstance 
or the event is different than the story. And there's a lot of different personal growth paths that make this distinction. NLP is one of them. They've got their own kind of way of saying that the map is not the territory, for instance. And so that was really the, the beginning of my seeking and the intentional architecture of who I was to become. As a young 20-year-old something, I thought about becoming a coach, but I was like, okay, no one's going to take me seriously. I'm way too young. So I ended up getting into the corporate environment and learning sales and going through a bunch of different trainings around that. And I saw just how sales and self-development and persuasion, they all really mixed well together. And it was all about really managing relationships and not necessarily manipulating relationships, but being in relationships with people to create and collaborate on an outcome that is mutually beneficial. So that's what I did in my 20s in the corporate environment. My issue that I ran into as I got into my late 20s was I felt like I was selling my soul. I felt like I was selling my soul and also my capacity and expansion was capped under this glass ceiling where there were certain types of conversations I could have with people, but I didn't feel completely free to really let it rip. If the listeners like shit, this sounds like me, like what's an example? Yeah, I felt like I was getting paid a good amount of money to just tolerate other people's dysfunction as someone in sales. So managing the relationship wasn't actually about really selling. It was almost like I was having to constantly be putting out fires and kowtowing to the client, but almost from a place of inauthenticity rather than just being straight. When you say that, it kind of sounds like finding a similar chaotic environment of what you knew with your dad. It sounds like that was kind of the dynamic with these types of relationships and sales where it's like, you're literally reacting and like, I don't know if I'm projecting or like, you know, putting things in your mind that may not be, but it sounds like it's kind of history repeating itself, but just in a different vehicle type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, maybe even what I'm doing today is still some example of history repeating itself because I still am dealing with and being with people's chaos and relationship and personal growth. But I would love to believe in the way that I stand in this is that it's a continued evolution and spiral upwards. So it may be repeating itself, but it's repeating itself from higher levels of consciousness and awareness and less trigger. And I see it as really just as this is my path. This is the growth path that I'm on. I'm well suited to deal with that and kind of be aware of relationship dynamics because mm-hmm. of where I grew up. And in some ways, it's maybe using that kind of wound or that early programming as a way now to make money and to capitalize on an already existing skill set. I have a question about what you said in the beginning when, when your dad passed away, which I'm really sorry. I'm curious because you said that the you know, the chaos stopped, everything kind of just got still and you didn't like what you saw. What was coming up for you in that stillness? Well, there was an inauthenticity that I came face to face with. There was a way in which I became acutely aware of a lack of principles that I stood by and that how much of my identity had been a reaction. Almost in an upset another way, it's like I didn't even know what I wanted to really make me happy. I was just almost pinging off of other people to kind of figure out what I wanted. And so really, I was able to, with him out of the way, there was a a journey of me really diving more into my heart where I could be far more safe and had a sober perspective on what it is that I wanted and what I wanted to follow. And my energy and uh, attention could go in that direction rather than trying to defend against something else. That's really young to have that self-awareness. I feel like that comes a lot with age and just having lived. And I feel like at the age of 18, to be able to have had that connection and seek that path and go down that path is unique. I haven't heard of or seen a lot of people do it so young. Yeah. Well, I would say to that too, is I didn't really feel like I had a choice because it was either go down this path of self-discovery and growth or possibly just check out and peace out to this, to this lifetime. Mm -hmm. So my back psychologically felt like it was up against a corner. And at that point, the only option that felt, or let's just say the option that felt the best was to just move forward in this way. So it was a, it was a brutal path. It wasn't one that was filled with self-love and necessarily excitement. Although that I had glimmers of that at times, it was really a ruthless awakening into myself. And uh, it didn't feel like there was a lot of choice. 
So in some ways, it just felt like destiny. I'm curious also about chaos in general. I feel like you had a very specific chaotic childhood given your dad's addiction. I think that it's something that I've heard a lot of people talk about in this space in general, that like if you were in an environment when you were little that was very chaotic, as an adult, you try to find also like environments that are chaotic, even when things are good. And I had, yeah. I had a pretty great childhood and still my, my family's Latin. And there's definitely a lot of chaos that is the familiar for me. And I find myself and literally my boyfriend laughs at me all the time because I will literally be in a very chill place. Clients are happy. Things are good. And he literally is like, you're an agent of chaos. Like I will literally find something to be chaotic about because it's like the natural state that I'm in. And it's something I'm aware of now. And I'm really trying to work through because I think that there's so much energy when you're trying to just like live in the familiar, like chaotic place that you know of. But for anyone listening that they're like, oh, damn, like, I think that like, I might do that too. What are some like tips or what are some things to look out for? Maybe even questions or prompts that can kind of regulate yourself before you go down like a chaotic rabbit hole when things are actually good. I think before we even ask any questions or go to any tips, just one piece that I'd like to lay as a foundational stance to to look out from is that whatever we learn to survive as children becomes dependent on our uh, continued survival. We become dependent on that for our continued survival. Our, Our system, our unconscious mind thinks so. So it's kind of like if we're wanting to change, if we're wanting to suddenly be this peaceful person, but how we identify as is someone who is, say, a survivor or someone who knows how to manage chaos, there's such purpose there, right? There's a way in which our identity has this game plan that it knows how to execute and it knows how to survive. So attracting relationships that are chaotic, creating situations in your work environment that are chaotic are actually ways that we get to feel more secure because we at least know how to play that game. But to all of a sudden enter into a peaceful context or create a peaceful context where we might literally have to come face to face with not knowing who we are and not knowing how to play that game is terrifying. It's not terrifying to our conscious mind. It's terrifying to our autonomic nervous system that has been built on uh, these mechanisms of surviving chaos. So just kind of understanding the, the, the game that we're in and the game that we're playing can give us more curiosity and compassion around change and not look at what we're trying to change is something that is bad or dysfunctional, but rather that is just something familiar that there's actually a hidden harmony to it. We know how to execute well in it and we know who we are in that context. That's incredibly safe. It gives us certainty. There's a positive benefit to that. Then from that place of recognizing the positive benefit of it and the ways in which it's familiar, we can then begin to gracefully start to unravel that and step into something new. But we have to realize that the stepping into something new is going to be uncomfortable and it will also possibly fire up our triggers and have parts of us want to go back into the old pattern. So just becoming aware of these things, just it, it can allow us to be a little bit more present to what's actually going on and bringing less judgment into the transformation, bringing less judgment into the journey. Totally. Well, this is bringing like extremely true, like extremely, extremely true for me because my partner is so stable he's such a rock and he's a constant. Right. And I tell him, I'm like, it's the most beautiful thing ever. And it's so unsettling for me. Cause it's just like, I don't know, like, I guess I have, I'm not that I have to, but like, I want to do more work as to where this comes from. But like, I literally tell him that all the time. I'm like, our relationship is so beautiful. And like the moments where I feel so at peace, I start to feel mm-hmm. it in my stomach because it's like, it's the unfamiliar, even though we've been together for yeah. such a long time, the more that I'm at peace, the more it's unknown. So yeah, I'm like right. navigating this with him who has known me throughout this entire, we've been together for 12 years, you know? Mm. And like the more work that I'm doing on myself, the more peace height I'm reaching, the more that level of being unsteady within the calm is coming up for me. So yeah. for anyone that is also listening and for myself, like what would you say in those moments? Cause at least now there's a point of recognition, right? Like before I was kind of like asleep to this and like, would just like pick a fight or like whatever, you know, now there's like a moment of doing that work, which I think is so beautiful, by the way, being able to like love and have compassion and empathy for that side of us that like was in survival mode. And like, it got us to a certain point and also recognition that like, Hey, like, cool. Now I know this. And like, I want 
to get to that next level of like, maybe it's not completely gone, but like being a little bit, just a little bit more calm in the calm. Yeah. What's, what's a good tool here? Yeah. So lean into the feeling of the pit in the stomach and be with the sensation and breathe through it and practice seeing the pit in the stomach as an ally rather than an indication that something's wrong. Because our first reaction is going to be that, okay, I have a pit in my stomach. Something's wrong here. This is not okay. This is dangerous. And then we will typically enact some type of compensatory behavior to distance ourselves from that feeling on the inside. And that might mean that we react and we start a fight or we say something when it's important to keep our mouth shut or we freeze and we don't say something because we're trying to avoid that feeling within us. But when that comes up, the practice is to actually sit with it, to be with it, to detach from the story of it and just notice the sensations inside of your body and witness them while you breathe so that your nervous system can begin to acclimate to this feeling and realize that that feeling is not going to kill it. Consciously, we understand that, but our nervous system doesn't. I just finished reading The Untethered Soul, which my last solo episode was about this. Mm. And have you ever read it? Yeah. I've read so many books that I, I'm sure all of them have this kind of like as the foundation of it, being able to separate yourself from the thought. This is the first time that it's ever like really, really landed. And I've been doing so much of this practice as the pit is coming up or like as the stress or anxiety and being able to take a seat behind it and witness it as the seer. And yeah. it's wild to me. And I said this in my solo, how like even in that first instance of being able to actually do that practice you feel like physically, you feel it literally releasing from your body. This is a recent thing for me. So like, if you're like seeing me be like mind blown, it's because it's new. I'm excited to like keep doing it. And as, as things come up to, I'm hoping that like the spiral upwards, as you're saying, is that it's, you know, less and less intense. Cause like those first thorns that are coming out feel really freaking heavy. Yeah. And just, I think another context, just a, a meta architecture to be in with your relationship is just to realize too, there's a part of you that thinks you've consciously chose your partner because of X, Y, Z, but then there's another intelligence that's operating that's outside of your consciousness that has possibly chosen your partner to wake you up into your own wholeness and completeness. And so that actually happens through being triggered. That actually happens through the relationship, putting you face first in these really uncomfortable positions that you don't consciously want to be in. And so what I often see happen, if we don't have that as a meta architecture is people leave the relationship, they get out of it. They get out of it. If you don't have triggers, if you're you're saying, if you don't have triggers within your relationship, people get out of it. If you don't understand that the person that you've chosen to be in a relationship with is there to wake you up, is there to actually help you come into a a remembrance of your own wholeness and completeness. You might mistaken the, the trigger and say, you know what, this, this triggers coming up this means that I shouldn't be in the relationship, right? But when you can see the relationship kind of going back to what we talked about offline or in the very beginning, as the relationship as a crucible for our own transformation, then we can be in some of these really uncomfortable feelings that are coming up and we can grow through them. We can start to re-own parts of ourselves that maybe we've disowned as children we can start to feel safe in new contexts. We can start to get closer to ourselves, which then begins to create the capacity for us to get closer to the other person. And that's all through being triggered and, and working our way into deeper intimacy with ourselves. Everything that you're saying just feels so whole. Like it feels like it's just truth. If someone's listening or like they're on the spectrum of thinking about these things, I think that anyone can say that like in most relationships, there are things that trigger, like that's just like what it is. And a lot of people's inclinations is like, oh, like this this person is constantly triggering me. We're fighting nonstop. This isn't the right relationship, right? So where is the line? Because it's like on one side, like, okay, cool. Like we have this knowledge and like this understanding that you chose it subconsciously because there's something here to wake you up. And at what point is it like, no, actually this is not the right relationship. Even if like, there are so many triggers that clearly like there are opportunities for growth for, how do you know the distinction between the relationship to stay in and the relationship that is not it? Yeah. That is like the the $64,000 question, right? It's like, where do you draw the line? And I think it's very subjective. 
the immediate answer that's surfacing right now as you ask it for me is when you no longer want to do the work that's being presented to you. But as long as you want to do the work that is being presented to you, then you can stay in it. And if at some point you're like, you know what? Like, I don't want to do this work. This is not the work that I want to do. Then by all means, take a step back. And there could be a consequence to that, right? Which is that you might end up being presented in the next relationship with the same work that comes up again. And at this time, you may be older, you may be wiser, you may have more of a capacity. It could be that the timing is better for you to do the work then. So, you know, I'm not an advocate for people suffering through relationships or staying in something that is not working long term. But I do think that it's important to see something through. And if one is to walk away, to walk away from a place of sobriety, not to walk away from a place of trigger. Because typically, if we walk away from a place of trigger, we end up regretting our decision because we weren't clear. We weren't thinking clearly when we did it. It's so interesting. I also read the big leap and it's like, it's crazy how like when you start going into, and maybe, I don't know if the lazy river relationship never has these moments, like, like, let me know if that actually like exists. But I do find that like, as me and my partner have continued to do the work and just up level. And it's like, there's like a, a moment where it's really like weird, you know, like even on a personal level, like when you're up leveling at work or wherever, and it's like, you're getting to that point where it's your upper limit there seems to be a constant like pattern of like, okay, we've gotten to this point, thorn problem, whatever, move through up again, problem, whatever, you know? So I guess like, are there like happy relationships that like, that is not the case or like, is that what growth is? You know, like, is there a world in which you're just like on a lazy river the whole time and there's no need for these thorns or is that just like part of the work? It's my opinion that that's part of the work because as one continues to get closer to themselves, which is another way of saying hitting their kind of upper limit. Yeah. Like as one continues to deepen their own intimacy with themselves, there's a way in which they end up maybe getting closer. Well, most likely getting closer with their partner. And that could activate some type of defense mechanism there that creates distancing or that could create a collapse. So it's, if something's, if one person is continually evolving or both people are continually evolving, there's the geometry of the relationship itself is going to be getting put into new positions consistently. And there's going to be a destabilization that occurs and then a restabilization. So I think that relationships uh, are going to have just periods of destabilization, restabilization, destabilization, restabilization, uh, unless neither one, neither people are doing the work and they're just in some ways possibly asleep to the relationship or the asleep to the growth and just handling other things. But then that presents its own kind of problems that could be festering under the foundation that ex- could express themselves later. This is just my uh, opinion, right? I'm sure there are some relationships out there of couples who are, you know, I imagine have maybe been through some of the tumultuous times and they've gotten so amazing at sparring with each other that it might be like watching two Aikido masters just rolling around and it's this, there's a lot of power, but there's like a dance and a respect for each other. And I think that's really perhaps where the evolution of relationship goes is that we just become so good at dancing with our partner in the conflict that there's just love and respect and and acknowledgement happening that's coupled with the truth. Well, that sounds absolutely beautiful. And I wish that for every listener because that feels like, yeah, it just feels like harmony. I'm curious what is kind of piggybacking off of like both partners doing the work. Like what has your experience been working with people that like maybe like one person is doing more work or they're having a period of acute work or like what, what does that look like within relationship? And like, how do you navigate that when like, let's say like there's an active ingredient listener right now who's like knee deep and like working on some things and their partner may not be in that zone. How have you seen it be successful? Like if the other person is not doing the same thing, yet you both still want to be together. Mm. I think staying in your lane, super important. Staying in your lane and not trying to be the chauffeur or uh, the steward of your your partner's growth. Realize that everything's got proper timing and people might have different seasons to when they engage in that kind of work. And as a couple, there's going to be your own personal journey that you're on. And then there's going to be their personal journey that they're on. And then there's going to be 
the journey of the relationship as well. And I think if we start getting out of our lane, trying to really encourage the other person to do growth that they might not be ready for, there's most likely a fair amount of projection happening there. Mm-hmm. where we're actually witnessing something in them that we're witnessing with us. And we're trying to control it from the outside rather than going within and noticing where are we, you know, what is it that we're identifying in them that is actually alive in us where the focus needs to come back to us. This is like such a real thing for me. Some context, some of my listeners, I feel like have probably picked up on this, but my partner and yeah. I took a two month break and I was like, neat. We, we were back together. We've been together for a very long time. This was like something that I think was an imbalance in the fact that I was knee deep in a lot of growth things. And I had that like period of like holier than thou, like, why are you not doing like, why are we not on the same page? Right. Which yeah. I think, like the, this is kind of where I'm going with this is the codependent side. Right. Hmm. And I had like that holier than thou moment. And then when we separated initially, it was like, everything that's wrong is on your side. On your side of the street, these are all the problems that I can't have in my life. I don't want this. I don't want this, that, and the other, right? And I'm doing all this work and I want this, that, and the other, right? This was like a month in, that was my mindset. And then I don't know what happened. All of a sudden I kind of woke up and I was like, wait a minute, hold on. All of these things that I am like, quote unquote, needing from this other person are all things that I actually want to give myself. Why is it that my expectation is for this person to be at the exact same level as me to be going through life in this way together the whole way through when we're two completely different individuals, which then brought up all these codependent things that there's like this narrative that could have been imprinted in my mind from, you know, growing up from what you see on TV, from whatever it is, society, whatever, that like, if you and your partner are not on the exact same page, bye. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think that there's so many people that just peace out maybe prematurely, or I guess everything is in divine timing. So like right for them. But I just had this like huge realization where I was like, wow, like there's so many things that like would need to be fixed on his end in order for us to be together. When it was like, no girl, like, Actually, what we want to work on is totally within us and it's on radical acceptance and doing things for you on your side of the street. And do you want to be with that person at whatever stage they're in, however they are fully as they are? What's the answer? That's what I literally just went through. So like everything that you're talking about right now is so freaking true. And I I think that when you're in this like growth space, I don't know, like I definitely had that holier than that moment. I'm very, I like slap myself a little bit out of it. I'm curious if you see that with your clients. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think that's just part of being human. Yeah. And and yeah, I think it's so common in relationships and, and I love the radical responsibility you took to come back into place and say, okay, wait a second, you know, what's going on on my side of the fence. And the commitment here is to love this person exactly the way that they are. Um, And I think that's probably the the biggest uh, one of the biggest lessons in that is just, okay, can you be with something that you don't necessarily agree with, or you've got these shoulds about how you think they should be showing up? Can you release those and actually just love with vulnerability? And and from a place of also not knowing that you know what's best for them. I mean, that's that takes incredible amount of courage, and that's really uncomfortable. Totally. Extremely. <laughs> extremely, but I do find that like, not only in relationships, just like in anything, accepting it as is we we're so quick to say, this is bad. This is good. This is the way it should be. This is the right thing. This is the ideal relationship goals, whatever. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's like, no, actually like exactly what is back to the story and being able to just witness, like just accepting that that is what it is and everything else is story. It's a core tenant of, of being in relationship is continually practicing acceptance acceptance of self and acceptance of the other person. Yeah. And, you know, even in my, even in my relationship with my now fiance, who I also had a breakup with for a year and a half and we got back together and then have, uh, since then made the commitment. Acceptance is something that I have to practice on a daily basis. And it's something that I learned from her in spades, right? She learns other things from me. And I feel like I can learn so much from her around what it means to just be in acceptance And it's an area where I notice myself as being someone who is, I consider myself a pretty driven individual that has built their business and built a life based on noticing what's missing and then creating in that gap 
how that then the double-edged sword of that can create a lack of peace in the present moment because of what I'm focused on. But the utility in it is, is beautiful and has created freedom. But then it's like, how can you also create while being at peace? And I think those are two that look like polarities, but I think they come together and it's kind of like the Holy grail of relating and maybe the Holy grail of moving through life. That's so freaking true. It's like when you're in a job that is literally like your job is to be an editor, let's say, and you're like literally looking for the problem, like that translates within really, it translates into everything. So if your mind is programmed to look for the problem or to look for the white space or to look for the opportunity, then like, how can you not have that translate in every aspect? Knowing that how, like, do we have, do you have tools on like how you catch yourself in that? And like within relationship, like, I feel like it served you within business and now you have this awareness within relationship. How do you catch Mm -hmm. that? And then say, wait, wait a minute in relationship, actually my role here is just to accept. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I've done with my partner that I have is I have an, a, a journal on my, my notepad that is specifically dedicated to my partner. And anytime something happens, big or small, and as much as I can remember and do it within flow, I, I actually record it. I record the, the things that I appreciate about her. I, I record our wins. I record the moments of deep appreciation of her character and who she is. And, and in some ways, what I'm doing is I'm cultivating a creation of her that I get to be in relationship with. Because it can be easy to slip out of that if we're in a bad state of mind or there's something going on with our body where suddenly we start to see life through a lens that is distorted. And so one tool is I I actively create my partner on a regular basis. And that's who I'm in relationship with. And I create her through my language because at the end of the day, that's actually all I'm in relationship with anyway. Right. We could say, am I really in relationship with another human being or am I in relationship with an interpretation of who I think she is? And if it is an interpretation, which I believe it is, because it's all what I think about what she says, she has words that come out of her mouth. She has ways that she move and I make those mean things. So why not intentionally and consciously actually infuse that creation with love, respect, acknowledgement. And then that's what I practice seeing on a regular basis. It's a cultivation in the relationship. That's so interesting. It's like, the work I've done on gratitude lists and like creating the life that you see based off of the things that you're grateful for. It's like the same thing here. When McGuire and I got back together, I started doing that also. And I was like, I do a grateful list every single morning. My listeners know this. And I was like, part of my grateful list now is what am I grateful for in my relationship? What am I grateful for in in my relationship with McGuire? Because one of his biggest issues with me is that like the things that I I bring attention to are always the things that are wrong or like the things that are something that I would like to work on. And he's like, why isn't there the same or more emphasis on the things that are amazing? And I think that's such a simple thing, but why is that? I guess like, why is that the human default is to look for that? Is that, is that part of survival or like, why is it that like, even at work or anything, it's like, let's say 80% of it is incredible. And then 20% of things at work could be like problematic, but the focus is on those 20% or in relationship. Yeah, because our brains are designed to detect threats because threats are, are more important than gratitudes. The prime directive of being human is to survive and keep a pulse. And so through millions of years of evolution, our systems are designed to see threats. It's designed to see what's missing. It's designed to see, designed to see where things could go wrong because it's guaranteed then or it has the highest probable chance of keeping us alive. In order to, what's the word I'm looking for? outsmart that system it's like doing the repetitions of the counter which is the positive more so than the natural negative things that come up is what you're saying yeah taking the reins on that process yeah and and also too like i mean i think having a practice of like getting out of one's head and into their body is huge like for myself like moving, working out, having practices that, that drop me more into my heart rather than being in this, this mode where I'm letting my mind run my life because my mind creates problems and loves to solve them. And that's exhausting. So how can I just be with something rather than try to solve it and continually give my nervous system the experience that I can, I can be with strong emotions and intensity and it won't kill me. 
kind of going back to what we were saying in the beginning. So that's another way of, yeah, yeah, being the witness of the experience. I think that that's one thing that when I started on this path, I thought like, oh, it'll be like a beautiful line all the way up. Right. Like that's like literally, yeah. and actually I didn't even know what I was doing when I started just being curious in the space. And I do mm-hmm. find, and I, I said this on my last solo that I was like, I understand why people are resistant to this work, because let me tell you, sometimes it brings you to your freaking knees and on the other side of being on your knees, always, at least in my experience so far is a deep, deep revelation or a getting closer to truth that I wouldn't trade for the world personally. Yeah. And I'll say this as, as you're talking, uh, this came up for me, the amount of time I stay in a certain spot has reduced. So the disintegration phase back into reintegration, the, the, the frequency is maybe the same, but the duration has lessened where I'm able to catch myself more quickly because I've got that muscle of when mm-hmm. I go into this kind of small self egoic thinking and then I'm able to navigate out of that with a little bit more grace. And sometimes that's the case. And, and sometimes uh, I'll say too, sometimes it's not. Sometimes uh, I can find myself getting stuck in judgment. Be like, wow. But then, you know, some really great tools is I might turn to work like Byron Katie's work where you question the belief. You just identify the thought and then start to look for evidence in the opposite direction of it questioning whether or not whatever it is that I'm believing that I think is true. Is it actually true? Can I absolutely know it's true? Right. Am I a mind reader? Am I in their experience? Do I absolutely know? A court of law is one that I asked myself. Nice. Yeah. Great. And then I start to just intentionally look for evidence in the opposite direction. So these little triggers or these places where I might lose that state of being that I think is optimal for creating I'll just slow down and I'll start to try on different sets of beliefs and look through them for evidence that they exist. And that's the crazy thing about evidence is that it's infinite and it exists in every single direction. So, you know, if you want to look and find reasons why your life is doomed, you'll You'll find find them. them. Yeah. And if you want to do the opposite and look for like all of the opportunity or look for the ways in which you're blessed, you'll find that too. It's all a choice. Yeah, literally. And that's, that's the most empowering part of this whole thing is that it's all in choice. It doesn't, it's not something that happens to you. It's some, it's literally the way in which you choose to interpret and choose to believe, because that is what you will continue to create. Like we are co-creating. So it's in literally the decision. So I'm curious, what are the active practices that you're doing on a daily basis to set you up to be in that zone? Cause I, I think that it does take, you know, building that muscle, just like you go to the gym, just like you do anything that you're building muscle for. What are the mm-hmm. things that you do consistently to kind of set you up to be there? There's seasons for it. I just wrapped up working with a coach for two years. And mm-hmm. so I'm in a period of space right now, but I highly recommend working with a coach mm-hmm. just to have that kind of accountability. Somebody where it's like, you know, that you're going to step in front of a mirror once every week or once every two weeks, like mm-hmm. that's going to happen. There's going to be a place where you will be invited to take radical responsibility for your experience. Mm-hmm. I think just even having that on the calendar is incredibly powerful. I mean, that's just one tenth of what would happen in a coaching relationship, a good coaching relationship. The other piece too, is taking time to be with myself daily. So even if that's five or 10 minutes of just sitting in silence and just feeling what's happening inside of my body, what sensations I went through a season of doing declarations on a regular basis. And I found that uh, for me, it's it's good to do sprints of them, like a blitz of them for maybe a couple months and then to take a little bit of time off and then create some new ones. And then I like to read every day because reading helps ignite new creative ways of thinking for me. It's part of my creation process is to read other people's ideas. And I find myself compounding and, and actually expanding into new domains of myself through that. Okay. Um, give us some books. Yeah. Great. I'm I, mean, okay. I love reading too. Yeah. The Untethered Soul is a powerful one. one I said that in I'm my solo, to... sorry to interrupt, but like, don't you think the Untethered yeah. Soul needs to have like a warning label on it? I literally was like, <laughs> this book is, I've never, I, and I've read so yeah. many spiritual books and I was like, holy shit, like this literally needs a warning label. It like turned my life like... Yeah. A little bit chaotic for a little bit, you Amazing. know? Amazing. Yeah. One of my, definitely one of my top fives for sure. Yeah. Uh, there's another book called The Way of Mastery by the Shanti Cristo Foundation, which I really love. 
And I'm not religious, but it is a book where the writer claiming that he's channeling Christ consciousness, speaking as Christ from this frequency of just absolute and total love. And it's powerful. And again, I'm not religious, but just the frequency of this book, it changes my state. Just going through a couple pages of it, it just puts me in touch with something that is infinite. I mean, The Way of the Superior Man is a classic by David Data. I I highly recommend that. It's just a, a, a way for men to orient to their internal world and to find steadiness and balance in the face of chaos and in, in the face of relationship. Letting Go, Letting Go by David, Dr. David R. Hawkins, uh, phenomenal book. I love that you, that you said it that way, like a, a book that has that level of frequency. Those are the ones that I like either want yeah. to recap on the show or like just have in my ether. I'm literally looking totally. at myself right now and it's like, that's, that is what I'm trying to like be around at all times. Yeah, cool. It's all energy. Okay, there we're going to go part yeah. two because we literally are at time and I we, we barely scratched the surface on codependency, which I really wanted to get into. So if you're down to do a part two, would love to do that. So I actually didn't ask this. I'm, I want to close on this. It's a two-parter. Do you remember what you were like as a kid? And yes. then the second part to that question is like, but as a kid before societal pressures or like these stories are really embedded in you, like, do you remember, or like, are there family members that like remind you of what that was like? And do you find that you are now in this phase of life, kind of exuding childlike qualities? Does that ring true at all for you? Yeah. At times, at times. Yeah. As a child, I was incredibly, very playful. I was a showboat. I loved attention. I had a really wild imagination, really wild dreams, deep, rich internal world. And yes, I feel like as I've gotten older, especially in my late thirties now, I would say that that is front and center for me to continue to bring back more and more. I have this just dialogue open with my fiance, Asia. She, I think, continues to foster that out of me. I I have a tendency to get very serious and and tunnel visioned where I, I just like can get lost in my work maybe forget to play and forget to slow down and like really smell the roses. And I would, I'm really committed to bringing more of the the part of me that can just be really happy doing nothing and letting go of the responsibilities of work to more to the surface. And I think that's like a challenge for me right now. Yeah. That's a challenge. Why just is there's, not just you, it's so many people. Like, why is it so it's like, there's so much guilt or like, there's so much like FOMO of opportunity, I guess, of like, you know, yeah. I could be doing this. I could be reaching, but it's like, what? You could also be like at play. I, I say this because I... I yeah, totally. Too. I mean, I, I can speak for myself. I can't necessarily speak for other people. I think there's this mission that I'm up to around relationship and just the work that I'm doing that almost feels like it's it can be eclipsing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's only in the last couple of years am I realizing how important it is for me to play, to actually bring the next level of that online, that the next level of the purpose actually will come through the the backdrop of me letting go of the importance and significance of the work that I'm doing. So it's kind of a paradox. Yeah, that is just, that is the truth. It is the paradox. And I think that I've actually never had anyone say that on this show, which is definitely centered around people who have found their mission, their active ingredient, their passion, their purpose, whatever. The dark side of having found that is that it is an all-consuming thing. That then when you like get into like the responsibility side of it, the weight that you have when you're like, I know that I'm capable of helping people remove that playful side, then you actually stop yeah. helping anyone because yeah. the way in which to help is for you to be in your light. That's like literally it. Not to yeah. that email, the newsletter, the anything. It's like literally you actually being in your light. And how do you do that? Doing things that bring you joy. So yeah. it's like, it's yeah. something I have to remind myself really often about too. Yeah. I can fall into produce, produce for the sake of the listener, for the sake of whatever, but it's like, just play. Yeah. As I, as I hear you speak to, there's a kind of shift in focus too. And it's in the last couple of years, it's really been more of a shifting into realizing that people are wanting to be in a coaching relationship because of who I'm being, not what I'm doing. And who I'm being has nothing to do with creating a result for them. It has everything to do with in many ways, like their mirror neurons 
being able to suddenly fire and pick up a model and give themselves permission to enter that frequency as well. And that really doesn't have anything to do with whether the email is being sent out or not, or the next piece of content, or whether I'm studying enough. It has to do with like, am I enjoying life? Do I feel connected to myself? Do I feel free? Am I willing to take risks and, and face uncertainty and the unknown with a lightness? And if that's what I can embody, I mean, I think that's the most valuable thing that I can give in my presence. I could not agree more because when we are light, it's like we're all light. So when someone is really embodying that, it's really the remembrance for the other person. And that's all we need is literally that. Yes. That's it. Period. Full stop. Nothing else. So the more of us that can bring that light out of us in whatever way that is, that's the job. Yeah. Beautiful. <sighs> well, we're going to have to do part two because... We like barely scratched the surface on codependency. So thank you for coming on. I will link everything in the show notes on where people can find you. Are you currently taking on clients? I am. Yeah, I've got a couple of spots available. Amazing. So I'll put your information. I'll maybe even put your email if you feel comfortable in the show notes. That's fine. You guys, like you must go. I'll actually link it too. Just like a few of the YouTube videos that I saw that I was like, mind blown. And yeah, thank you so much for your time and for the work that you've done. It's very important. Yeah. Thanks for taking us so deep. I I love that we dug right into it and it was super organic and I didn't expect it to go there. Yeah. Honestly, me either, but I'm glad that we did. Awesome. Thank you so much for making it all the way to the end of the episode. You have no idea how much it means to me. And I really do hope that you left this conversation feeling lighter, more in tune, and with some tools to apply to your own life. Please feel free to reach out to me via DM on Instagram. I would absolutely love that, which I have linked in the show notes on any feedback or guests that you want to have on. And if you do have a second, I would really appreciate you giving the podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts and a quick review. It really helps getting the podcast in front of more people like you. See you next week.